Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Lone Star Beer. It is great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks today. No place I'd rather be actually. So thanks for spending a part of your week with me. I do appreciate it as we have got uh, a great show lined up for you today and uh, we're not going to waste any time. I'm going to tell you all about it right now. So pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old Stanley Thermos, the one that's still got mud caked on it from the 2011 duck season, uh, likely handed down from grandfather to your dad and now to you. And maybe you spike it with a little bit of grandpappy's cough syrup, or as my Uncle Larry calls it, a little nip uh, goes a long way on a cold morning. It's not cold right now, though, by the way. Oh, my gosh. It's been like 104 degrees every day this week in North Texas. It's been absurd. Uh, kids started school. We've got the virtual learning thing going on. It is uh, absolute hell. It's a circus around here. I feel bad for all of the parents that are enduring this hell with me because uh, I am not a teacher. No way. The kids need to go back to school. There's no doubt about that. Anyway. I could talk about that for a long time. Uh, what's on the docket for today? Let me tell you, off the top, Rachel Malone, spokeswoman for Gun Owners of America, will be here. So much to get into regarding the Second Amendment and the current climate of our country. Uh, what does this upcoming election mean? What is Kamala Harris's record as far as the Second Amendment is concerned? We'll, we'll look at that. And then this nightmare that the NRA has gotten themselves into. Um, I don't know how much Rachel feels comfortable commenting on that, but I'm not going to be shy about it because uh, they have made a mess and they need to be held responsible for it. I'm not saying they need to be dissolved. Absolutely not. We need the NRA just like we need the GOA. Uh, but, yeah, they've royally screwed the pooch. Then... We'll completely shift gears and talk some whitetail management, also shifts in philosophies in the deer breeding industry. We've gotten away from those big non-typical freaks, thank God, because I'm not a big fan of that look whatsoever. Deer should look like a deer. And uh, Chase Clark, owner of the Rebel Ranch and former Texas Deer Association president, will be here. Uh, we'll talk management, also get into our Axis deer hunt that uh, Henry and I went on with Chase down at his ranch. Actually, they had our entire family down there, and we had a wonderful time in a truly unique part of South Texas uh, where the Nueces River actually flows through the property. So cool. There's like a beach down there. Kids got to learn the difference between a, a coyote and a bobcat track as literally there was one of each right next to each other. It was so cool. And also one thing I didn't know about those little exotic black bucks that I certainly enjoy hunting, but Chase said that they are complete a-holes, <laughs> which I had never heard. They look so docile, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that as well as he's got a, a very unique story concerning one hyper-aggressive black buck ram that actually took to killing white-tailed deer. What a jerk, right? Uh, so anyway, lots of stuff to get into today. 
Let's do a, a quick giveaway. I've got a Vortex prize package. It includes a Vortex t-shirt and cap. And I'll, uh, hell, I'll even throw in a, uh, a Lone Star Outdoor Show first light cap, Cypher uh, camo cap as well. So two caps and a Vortex shirt for you. All you need to do is email the word whitetail. That's whitetail to Lone Star Outdoor Show gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rachel Malone of Gun Owners of America drops by on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you can't undo the wrong, undo the right. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Well, I grew up wild and free, walking these fields in my bare feet. There wasn't no place I couldn't go with a 22 rifle and a fishing pole. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, Josh Turner there for you today, as we're about to be joined by Rachel Malone, spokeswoman. For gun owners of America, with everything negative that has been put out in the press recently regarding the NRA, I figured, hey, some people might be looking at alternative gun advocacy groups to support. And let me be very clear, uh, I'm still a fan of the NRA, even though personally, uh, I, I have a little bit of a grudge with them and I'll share that story for the first time publicly today because I think their leadership needs to be completely overhauled. But with that being said, I still believe the NRA is relevant. They have a lot of power. They have five and a half million members and therefore we can't afford to lose them. But uh, we'll get into all of that coming up here with Rachel. Before we do that, however, this segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. My friends Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for, goodness gracious, almost a decade, maybe longer. It's been a long time. They've become great family friends of mine. They answer the phone when I call, and they'll do that for you too. You don't have to be friends with them. <laughs> but that's a novel idea for a taxidermist, right? To actually answer the phone and not blow you off. 
Uh, they do amazing work, and they do it relatively quickly. No more waiting two years for your white-tailed deer. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. And now, without further ado, let's bring her on right now. Spokeswoman for Gun Owners of America, it's my pleasure to welcome Rachel Malone to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself as far as you know where you're from um, and how long you've been working for Gun Owners of America. Sure thing. So I'm I'm a Texas girl, born and raised in Texas. My family's been here since the days of the Alamo. Um, and I, I've been working for GOA for a couple of years, but my gun rights journey started well before that. Um, I was a musician, uh, oh, wow. not interested in politics, not even interested in guns. But through a series of events, I came to understand that the best way to defend myself and the best way to stay safe was to actually start carrying the thing that I was so afraid of. Um, and so that's, that's how my gun journey began. Hmm. I was terrified of guns, but more terrified without them. And yeah. gradually I realized that I had to fight for my rights to be able to, to carry so I could stay safe. And that you know, one thing led to another. I began doing volunteer activism and gradually became involved with GOA and then uh, started uh, working for them full time here in Texas uh, just a couple of years ago. Okay. So my wife got her purse stolen out of a Target parking lot. Like she was putting the groceries in her uh, SUV and somebody ran by and just grabbed her purse. You know, luckily Goodness. that wasn't a violent act towards her. I mean, it was certainly um, something that, that violated her and yep. affected her. But going back to what you said about being so afraid of them, even though I host a hunting talk show for a living and shoot guns all the time, she's so afraid of them, still doesn't want to, she still won't get her CHL after that happened to her. I think there's a lot of people, especially uh, women, that do feel that way. So what was the thing that, that, that pushed you over the edge to where you actually went and, you know, bought a gun and, and got your CHL? Sure. So it was a conversation in which my brother had said he was going to start caring. And I was genuinely afraid for his life because in my head, a gun is something that just blows up and you can't really control it. And that's the last thing I would want my brother to have on his person mm -hmm. um, in my house or wherever he was. And so he just encouraged me to do research. And there were two things that I found that, that I think tipped me over to realize I, everything I thought I knew about guns was wrong. And one of them was literally just how does a gun function? Realizing that it's, it's not this thing that goes off randomly, you have to load it. It takes effort to load. You don't, you never accidentally chamber around. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes effort. And, and realizing that was, was huge and realizing the mechanical function of the trigger and, and, and just the inner workings of the gun was huge. And then seeing the statistics about how one in every five women uh, will be assaulted, and that may have changed slightly now, but it's still relatively true. And I'm one of five sisters, and so that hit home. Hmm. And then also seeing the data about how uh, just the sight of a gun deters criminals, which if you think about it, it makes sense. But I never thought about it that way until I saw the data on it. And I realized I don't have to be a ninja. I don't have to have amazing you know, Navy SEAL training uh, to, to be able to effectively defend my life with a gun. Many times you don't even have to fire it. Yeah. And then reading through, I read through the whole Cornered Cat website. I just did a ton of research. Hmm. And so it was, it was the data that changed my mind on it. 
Well, knowledge is power, so good on you. It is. Um, what about the history of the GOA? When was it founded? Sure. Uh, walk us through that. Sure. So GOA was founded back in 1976, so before I was even around. Mm-hmm. And it was founded on the principle uh, that that we need to harness the power of the grassroots and be a megaphone for our members. So instead of just being a lobbyist that goes and says, here, you need to do this because I say so. Yeah. And we'll get um, into the NRA be, for sure. <laughs> well, no, and I'm, I'm not necessarily speaking to any other organization, yeah. but I mean, the tip, typical lobbying for any issue is I'm the lobbyist, let's talk. And what we do is, is we're a lot more member driven. So we want constituents to be communicating with our legislators and we're their megaphone and we help facilitate that. Um, and then we're the no compromise gun organization, and we believe that gun control in all forms is ineffective. It's unconstitutional, and so we we really are dedicated to the no compromise uh, mission of gun rights. Okay, which I, I love to hear, um, because and maybe you can provide a little more insight on this. But what actually happened with the NRA and the bump stock thing? Um, it seems like this goes back a couple years, but they actually did compromise on that. Right. So I can't speak for the NRA's positions, uh, but it was the GOA who actually filed a lawsuit on that issue. I, mm-hmm. I am a, a plaintiff on that lawsuit as well, oh, personally, wow. uh, because I wanted to be able to purchase a bump stock, and, and I hadn't yet. It had been on my list to do, and then all of a sudden with that bump stock ban, uh, I would have faced potential jail time and large fines and a felony offense if I had if I had purchased that yeah. uh, bump stock. So, yeah. yes, we, we have been fighting it. And we, we fight legislatively. We fight lawsuits. Um, we fight an agency issues. Um, what the, the bump stock is, is definitely in an unfortunate compromise, but we have experienced successes in agency regulations. Uh, including, I don't know if you're aware, the Army Corps of Engineers property. There's been, long been a ban on that. Uh, we've pushed against it for years, and it seems like we are now currently moving towards allowing carry on Army Corps of Engineer properly. Which I hunt frequently on, and it's it's mm-hmm. usually I have a gun anyway, right? I mean, I'm, if I'm hunting, I uh, sure. have a rifle or shotgun. Um, but the the fact that you you can't carry while you're fishing. Um, or hiking right. or something. It was absolutely absurd. Right. Yeah. Right. I love hanging out on, on that property. It's good recreational property. And you know, just, so w- back when uh, they decided that when you, in a national park, the carry laws should be the same as they are in the in the state where the mm-hmm. national park is held. Back then, we pushed for the same thing to happen with Army Corps of Engineer property. It didn't happen, but it looks like that's about about to happen right now awesome. with the proposed regulation. Well. Let me ask you this, because the NRA sits at like five and a half million members or so. Mm-hmm. What is y'all's membership? So there, there are different ways and methods of counting membership, but we have about two million members okay. uh, with GOA, and we're we're growing rapidly. Uh, we we welcome the new wave of gun owners because there are so many people who are just now purchasing their first gun and realizing that even if they were opposed to guns previously, this is their means of protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. As well as some people enjoy it as a hobby. Uh, there are many reasons people purchase guns, but right now a lot of it is for defense, and we welcome those people um, to join us in fighting for their right to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, I mean we've we've sold more guns uh, since the pandemic oh, yeah. than at any point in American history. 
which I know the left is, is cringes at. But to be honest with you, a lot of Democrats are first-time gun buyers right now today as well uh, because they see what's going on with the violence in the country and lawlessness running rampant, and uh, people are f- afraid. So, Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we've seen a lot of uh, Californians and others who – uh, who, who've always preached that, oh, you know, we need gun control, and it's just way too easy to go purchase yeah. a gun. You just walk in and you grab it. And now they're realizing it's actually not that easy, and they're they're very upset that they have to wait for their gun. Or they well, have to yeah, go through this what you did to yourself. It. Exactly. <laughs> no exactly. sympathy for so me. We, I, would, <laughs> yes, I would welcome them in joining yeah. us to help reverse those laws that they may have advocated Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Um, so – you know, we've we've seen this PR nightmare for the NRA in the news over the last week, ten days. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it stems from New York Attorney General Letitia James is suing for the dismantling of the NRA last week. And my personal belief is, yeah, I think the NRA's leadership has long been corrupt and needed to be overhauled, but they still wield a, a ton of power. And uh, I, I think that if they're successful in dismantling the NRA that that sets a pretty terrible precedent and would give the antis a lot of momentum going forward. What are your thoughts on that? Right. So, you know, regardless of of the case itself and what it's being based on, we know it's absolutely true that the left would love to put every single pro-gun organization out of business one way or another. Um, to them, this is not about making sure the NRA donors' money is well spent. Right. This is about shutting down uh, the fight for gun rights in any way they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so something that we have to keep in mind is the Yeah, right because let's be honest, they don't care them. how they spend their money. Oh, they, yeah. they, they don't. Oh, they, no. I mean, you and I should care as gun owners. The antis don't give a crap how the NRA spends their money. It's a total sham. No, it's it's a method for shutting down the fight for gun rights. Mm-hmm. But what they don't understand is these rights are God-given natural rights. These rights are going to continue. They've been around longer than the Second Amendment, longer than any gun rights organization. These rights are going to continue. The fight for them is going to continue because the fight is not based around a couple of lobbyists. The fight is based around millions of Americans who treasure these rights and value these rights and are going to keep fighting for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a personal example of of my experience and lack of enthusiasm for the NRA. I've never said anything bad about the NRA publicly. I've always told people, you know, you should support pro-gun organizations. But this is, just for our listeners, my my experience with them uh, was when Obama had just gotten, um, I think, reelected and... Wayne LaPierre had written a piece in their um, monthly publication or something. And I, I read it and I was like, well, I'll get Wayne on the show. And at the time, I'd been doing this five, six years, uh, had some skins on the wall and had interviewed and had on celebrities and politicians who are certainly in higher demand than Wayne LaPierre. So anyway, I went to their PR uh, media relations guy, Andrew Arulan Andum, and keep in mind, when seeking out interviews like just how i found you rachel you go to the the outlets pr or media relations person so i went to andrew and said hey um let's uh, let's raise some interest for the nra and get wayne on to talk about this article that he'd written so on and so forth and he's like yeah sure that'd be great send me an email with some dates and times that work for you and so i did didn't hear back from him for two weeks reached out to him again he said yeah yeah sorry sorry 
uh, send me another email with some dates and time. So I did. And from a professional standpoint, I don't blow people up. I reached out to him about every other week for three months. And finally, I was like, dude, if you don't want to do the interview, fine. I don't care. I don't need to do the interview with Wayne. Uh, just trying to help the NRA out, to be honest. And I, I said, I deal with PR people every day. And this level of unprofessionalism is something that I have yet to see. What did he do? Uh, he went to my website, took it personally, got his panties all bunched up, and called my sponsors. He saw Cabela's logo on my website, called Cabela's. So when it was time for Cabela's to renew, uh, they bailed because obviously the NRA has more sway than the little old Lone Star Outdoor Show. But it just shows you the petty nature of the NRA's leadership at that time and still to this day there are a bunch of inflated egos over there and and there's a reason why I haven't told the story because for me it's it's not crying over spilled milk uh at the time I was really pissed off and and whew, I wanted to flame the NRA I really did uh but you don't want to burn bridges and it's a bad look for other potential sponsors here we are 7 years later I think that the uh, statute of limitations has passed on that especially with what's going on with the NRA right now how do you guys do things differently to make sure that uh, power and ego and, and money, abuse of resources are out of the picture for GOA? Sure. Well, uh, obviously, that's an unfortunate story, but I've, you know, for anybody else who's listening, would love to come on the show. We, we, we rely on taking our message to the people um, because the people are the ones who fight. But that's, I, I think, that's what helps keep us centered. Um, we we focus our team meetings on our, our staff meetings on on keeping ourselves grounded in the Second Amendment and keeping grounded in our focus. Nobody's gonna uh, is gonna get rich off of working for GOA. Uh, we are we are in it because we all have a passion. We have this shared passion for our rights. And personally, for me. I would be doing as much of this as I could. I was already doing as much of this as I could just on my own time, on my own dime, working as a private music teacher um, in, in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so it's my honor. It's, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to do it and have more time and more resources to do it and not just be stymied by saying, well, you know, can I put away a couple hundred bucks this month to do some activism? Can I take a little time off work? Can I afford to do that? It's just, it's an honor for us to be able to, to go and be the front lines and fight for everybody's rights and to bring that army of grassroots and to see Liberty win. That's what drives us. Mm -hmm. um, and you said, like, I think your tagline is no compromise. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes, it is. So, before, like, when I first started out doing this 12 years ago, there was some mass shooting and, and I put on my Facebook page. Would it be so bad if we, you know, raised the minimum age to say 21 from 18 to buy a shotgun or something? And I very quickly realized who my audience was and what gun owners thought of that. I mean, it was uh, no compromise. There's no room for that. Why did? Why would you ever even say that? And so I thought about it and uh, and completely ditched that train of thought. And this was, like I said, over 10 years ago. There is no room for compromise. You give an inch, they take a mile. Um, and it's the same way in the hunting uh, community as far as, sure. you know, their assault on, on um, the animals that, that 
you know, taking away the right for us to pursue the animals that provide protein and uh, a sense of joy and accomplishment for, for all the outdoorsmen and women out there. But yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I, I truly believe we cannot budge, what, not even one inch. Um, so I'm glad we to see that. We can't because, yeah. The, yeah, the the anti-gunners would, would love to paint it as, you know, here are a bunch of sportsmen. They just do this for fun, but we really know it's dangerous. How far are we going to go in letting them do something dangerous just because they enjoy it? And what we have to come back with is nothing along the lines of, well, just let us go at least halfway. Let's, let, let us do our hobby for a little bit. We can't respond that way. Mm-hmm. We have to emphasize it's not just a hobby. It's not just a fun thing. Yes, while it may be um, a, a sporting event, it's about a lot more than that. It's about whether it's providing food for your family or protection for your family, um, learning discipline, learning marksmanship. There's a lot more to it. And it's not something that increases danger. It's something that increases safety for our communities. Um, it makes our community safer. It makes our communities better. And that's the message that we have to go forward with. Not any kind of acknowledgement of, oh, you're right. This does put you more in a danger. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It makes our community safer. And that's that's why we must not back down. Well, look on at our message. gun-free zones like Chicago. How many people were murdered in yeah. Chicago last weekend? Right. Right. And nobody even really talks about it except for the mayor keeps on <laughs> the mayor keeps on saying, oh, this is, you know, this shows that we need more gun control. Um, it's just ridiculous. (laughs) Like how far can you go towards gun control and still say you just don't have enough gun control? And that's why you're one one of the the highest murder rates in the, in the country. That's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's sad. It's tragic. How many people die, uh, because of those policies? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and and it's the same in all the gun-free zones. That's where the highest murder rates are. Well, I mean, it doesn't take a, you know, a uh, rocket scientist to figure out there's a connection there, yet the media, Mm -hmm. they turn their back on it, don't report on that. You'll never see that on CNN or uh, MSNBC or or any of those outlets. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is GOA a nonprofit, a 501c3? What is y'all's actual... Sure. So we do have a PAC. Um, and we are also, uh, we are also a, a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are member driven. We welcome our members, uh, to, to join us. We see them as very much a part of the fight. Like this is a partnership with our members who join. What does membership entail? So basic membership is just $25 a year for the basic annual membership level. It should be achievable for everybody out there, um, whether you're a student or, or somebody else. And then we have higher levels. Uh, a Patriot membership would be a monthly recurring donation of at least uh, at least 20 bucks a month, which just helps us keep going. And we have extra perks for that and extra updates to offer for those folks. Um, and then a lifetime membership is $1,000. And then we have a couple levels in between as well. And all that information is available at gunowners.org. Okay. Let me ask you this. How does Kamala Harris rate as a threat to the Second Amendment? Because, you know, just looking at Joe Biden, it's very apparent, I think, to anyone who's paying attention that he's mentally incapable of being president. Um, so what is what is y'all's take on her? <laughs> So let me ask you this. Were, were you aware of the, the bill H.R. 5717 that was filed earlier this year in Congress? It was, it was being called the gun, gun apop, uh, apocalypse uh-uh. um, that would be just every gun owner's worst nightmare. 
Um, the thing with that bill is like it had every sort of gun control you could imagine. It was horrible and it was filed in Congress. But even in Nancy Pelosi's uh, House of Representatives, it still stood no chance of passing. Um, and obviously the Senate wouldn't have even taken it up, even though Elizabeth Warren filed it. But here's the deal with Kamala Harris. If she were to become vice president, that is exactly everything that she would push for. And so this you know, pie-in-the-sky dream of the Democrats and of the gun grabbers that currently, you know, even with Nancy Pelosi, we're not, we're not having to fight against that so hard because it's just it's pie-in-the-sky for them. Mm-hmm. That would become the reality. Like, they're, like the nightmare would become true, and what we would have to fight so hard to keep those things from happening. Her record is is absolutely terrible on guns. And not only does she just talk about her her hatred of gun rights, uh, she in her uh, in her tenure as attorney general, um, she showed that she was absolutely willing to take executive action for gun control. She this is what we've seen in Canada a, recently from Trudeau and. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just saying, hey, let's let's ban all the you know, so-called assault rifles, and they're just classifying basically everything as an assault rifle. Yeah. All of our normal rifles, including rifles that semi-automatics. Bye bye. Shotguns. Exactly. You know, everything. Bye yeah. bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So she'll she'll take executive action. She won't stop. Um. Short of her goal, she is she is a rabid gun grabber, and we can't let her come anywhere close to the White House. So from a standpoint of protecting the Second Amendment, this is probably the most important election in our country's history. I think so. And, and, you know, there's a cliche that we say every election is the most important of your lifetime or the most important so far. This one is so, so critical. Uh, We're we're calling it the potential Armageddon for gun rights or the, you know, fire Armageddon. Uh, just be, because of what could happen in the White House, even before we had Kamala Harris on board with Joe Biden, even Joe Biden being there um, with Beto O'Rourke as his gun czar, like that was that was a terrible thought. And adding Kamala Harris makes it worse. Uh, and you contrast that with what you see from Trump. And although yes, we did have the bump stock ban, we also are having the Army Corps of Engineers property um, gun free zones being repealed. Uh, we have over 200 uh, judges who've been appointed and uh, Supreme Court justices as well. And Trump's judges have been almost uniformly so much more pro-gun than even other Republican presidents nominees. Mm. It's amazing what happens at the judicial realm. Yeah. Well, by and large, uh, Trump is a pompous, egotistical uh, individual. I mean, all you have to do is look at his Twitter. But I do believe he loves America. He loves Americans. And uh, I mean, certainly, <laughs> there's only one way to vote if you're a if you're a proponent of the Second Amendment, and that's red. Uh, he also passed the uh, Great American Outdoors Act recently, which was great news for yes, uh, hunters absolutely. and anglers, hikers, anyone who enjoys the outdoors. Um, so right. he's been doing some great things, despite being in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so. Right. And even speaking of the pandemic, um, we, we actually worked with his administration and he classified the gun industry as essential. He, he recommended that, which was huge for keeping um, gun stores open. That was that was one of our big fights during the covid response. Yeah. And the Trump administration came through on that and recommended that they be classified as critical infrastructure and should stay open. And thank God that he did, because uh, we had on 
um, Linda Powell of Mossberg, a longtime friend of ours, and it was I think it was mm-hmm. April. She said they manufactured more guns in April than they have any other month in their history, and in, and also did wow. their biggest volume day. Um, wow. And they, you know, can't keep guns on the shelf. So, um, right, it's great to see Americans buying guns first time. Gun owners, like we said, even the ones from California, they're waking up. Um, so yes. we welcome them, welcome them into the uh, the gun owning community, and hopefully that'll show up uh, come election day. Yes, yes, absolutely. We hope that they they make the connection that yeah. their safety and security and ability to to hunt or shoot or go to the range and buy ammo um, and not be a felon for owning a gun, all that depends on who's in office, and they need to go and vote. For yep. their rights in yep. November. Well, I look at it like this: hunting is is my life. I mean, that it, it's sure. it's what I do and who I am. But what good is that if I don't have a Second Amendment to own those guns to go hunting? Um, right. You can look around anywhere right. else in the world, and and the model exists where a government has overreached and stripped away gun rights, and the hunters in those countries they look at us and they're jealous. History repeats itself, and this is one where we can't follow the model that these other countries have have uh, implemented because it doesn't work. And that is something we need to fight to protect. Well, I'm joining today. I am, have not previously Wonderful. been a member, um, but uh, yeah, you guys are doing great things. So I encourage everybody well, else to so uh, do the same. Thank you so much for the time, Rachel. Certainly enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I'm sure we'll do this again somewhere on down the line. Absolutely. I enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. So there she goes, Rachel Malone of Gun Owners of America. They're doing great things. I guess uh, I should have done more research. I honestly wasn't aware that they had over 2 million members, uh, of which now I am a proud member as well. And I think we should all be involved or at least support one pro-Second Amendment organization. Uh, I also hope that the NRA turns it around uh, because with five and a half million members, they still have that influence that uh, it's hard to deny. So uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We're going to take a quick break. Up next, my friend Chase Clark, former Texas Deer Association president and uh, owner of the Rebel Ranch, joins us. We're going to talk whitetail management, changes in the deer breeding industry and an ornery black buck like to poke holes in whitetail bucks right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I can't believe, I can't forget the hardest part hasn't started yet. I don't want to be... Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give him a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. Let's get some gravy, and they wore blue bell-bottom jeans and platform shoes. They slapped at the insects while they laughed at the rednecks. They kept all the straight-laced businessmen confused. And the days went by with a red band and a blues all right.
That's Adam Carroll, Red Bandana Blues, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith here with you, and we're about to get into an exciting uh, hunt that my family experienced last week down at the Rebel Ranch in Three Rivers, Texas, uh, hunting axis deer during the rut. Always one of my favorite things to do each summer. And uh, we had a great time with the Clark family. And Chase Clark will be here in just a second to uh, talk not only axis deer, but also what is, uh, what's currently going on with the white-tailed deer breeding industry. It's changed a lot since I started doing this uh, nearly 12 years ago, and I think for the better. Um, so we'll get into that. But first, this segment is brought to you by Stealth Cam and the new Fusion wireless cell camera, which, get this, starts at $199.99 for AT&T plans. Uh, that's right, setting the market as far as the most affordable cell camera out there. You're going to get the amazing clarity and photo quality you expect from Stealth Cam as well. Check it out. It's the Fusion new from Stealth Cam. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. Chase Clark and I have known each other for some time uh, through his involvement with the Texas Deer Association. Uh, talked countless times on the phone via email, but actually got to hang out with Chase and his family a couple weekends ago down at their ranch. And so, Chase, it's great to have you back on the show. Hey, Cable, thanks. Good to talk to you again, sir. Yeah, I did a little search on the website, and it looks like our uh, our last, conversation was in 2015 and we were discussing CWD's effect on the Texas whitetail industry and here we are four years well maybe five years later now and there's still deer alive in Texas imagine that (laughs) (laughs) they didn't all die (laughs) there are a lot of uh, comparisons between the CWD concerns and COVID concerns both have you know real uh, basis for um, steady research and and involvement, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you can't you can't overregulate. It's 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 difficult on on people to get overregulated. Yeah, yeah. Well, and at the time, you were president of the Texas Deer Association. Uh, I understand, you know, through our conversation since I was uh, hanging out with you here a few days ago, um, you're no longer involved with TDA at all. Well, I'm a life member of TDA. Okay. I believe in the I believe in the mission that the organization uh, was uh, created upon. Um, I, I do believe that in the past several years, um, and and really, it's a personal choice for, to spend more time with family and on my business. I spent a lot of time, a lot of my time, working for the Texas Deer Association, mm-hmm. and. Um, as I'm sure you're aware and lots of your audience is aware, volunteer time is wonderful, but it takes it takes you away from some of the most important stuff. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, so, obviously, family time. Was there any, like, I don't know, philosophical differences as far as why you decided to not be as involved? I guess the basis for what I would tell you is that uh, there are many different philosophies with regards to deer management and and the deer industry, all aspects of it, from 
you know, purists who don't believe that people should be touching animals, touching wild deer mm -hmm. to folks that uh, actively manage deer and ranches and stocking ranches and helping folks uh, really out there um, with small properties. And then there's all the way on the other side of the equation, there's folks that raise deer basically uh, for the purpose of selling in auctions and at high values. And um, that's just not my cup of tea. And most of my clients are in the real world mm -hmm. and want to um, to try to gain benefit from stocking ranches um, for the purpose of hunting. Right. And for the purpose of, of improving real estate value. And that's really where my passions um, currently lie. Well, you know, you're a longtime deer breeder. Um, so talk about what makes – and you told me this when you were driving me around your, your property. And you said your deer are different than a lot of breeders. Um, you no longer dabble in northern genetics. Why is that? Well, to be very frank and very honest, I had a lot of mortality in my breeder operation. Uh -huh. When when I had Northern Crosses cable, it was um, it was very evident um, if you compared the stuff that had Northern in it to the stuff that didn't. Even even when I had both in my own operation, um, so I, I made the personal choice, and and partly because you know the primary goal of, of my breeding operation was to stock my ranches um, I needed to have I needed to have a product I needed to have deer that could actually survive out on the ranch and um, it, it was it was evident to me that if they couldn't survive well and thrive in my my breeder operation that they were going to struggle even more when I tried to establish those animals out on mother nature mm-hmm so I made the decision about five years ago to basically just uh, remove all of the northern strains from my operation, and it's been very successful. It has been very successful. I've been very pleased with the survival rates in my breeder operation, and I haven't seen, honestly, I haven't seen much of a fall off in deer quality, especially if I allow those deer to get a few years older. Um, which a lot of my clients really prefer to do. They like to they like to see those bucks get to four, five, six years old. So yeah. there's there's basically been no negatives to it for me. Well, and that's a far cry from like what you see on the open range in Texas. And Alan Kane, our, our whitetail program leader, um, a friend of both of ours, he'll even tell you the average age of the free range Texas whitetail to get shot is two and a half. So. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the advantage that Texas has over so many states. Yeah. It, it, it does have the 98% private land. And, and honestly, you know, landowners who want to manage their properties either with a, a high fence cable or want to do it in a cooperative where they go out and get a group of, of low fence landowners together and they all try to manage the deer in the same fashion – they can they can improve those statistics. They can go out and 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 try to let deer get older, and and that's really where special things happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, hell, it's hard enough to to get a co-op uh, together to do that. We couldn't even do it on my deer lease. We had there's four guys, 
and I, I think I told you the story while we were uh, having a cold beer after dinner. Uh, we had four guys on our property, and, and I'm starting to get pictures of this really nice two-and-a-half-year-old. And by that, I mean he's like 14 inches wide, maybe scores 125, but he has a drop time. And we're like, wow, this is a great free-range buck. And it's in on the group text. Let's Nobody shoot this buck. Okay, everyone agrees to it. Opening weekend, what happens? One of the guys lets his daughter shoot it. And, uh, you know, the, the the rest of us were, the other three guys were uh, pretty ticked off about that. And it wasn't, wasn't an honest mistake. It was an intentional deal. And uh, anyway, he's no longer on the lease. <laughs> well, it's hard enough in some families just to agree on what's for dinner. I know. Left I know. To agree on how to, how to manage deer. And there, there are a lot of different opinions and there's lots of different experts. And, um, and that's the nice thing about I know that that lots of folks don't care for high fences, and I respect that. But as a as a property owner in the state of Texas, you know we invest a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources in the habitat, improving the habitat, improving the forage for deer out on our property. But that that goes towards all sorts of wildlife. It improves the the biodiversity, the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And and really allows lots of species to to thrive. So, as a private landowner, a high fence can be very effective as a management tool because it allows you to make those kinds of decisions and establish those kinds of rules, uh, allowing bucks to get older without having to get your neighbor to agree to it. Right, right. Well, and and I think, you know, in that same vein, that's why a lot of high fences go up. I know my good friend Glenn down there in Rock Springs, Coons Canyon Ranch. That's why his high fence went up. He was feeding protein, low fence. Neighbor shoots a two and a half year old, 140 inch deer. And Glenn, he sent Glenn a, a picture, all happy about it. And Glenn was like, "Congratulations, first of all. Second of all, uh, next week there's a high fence going up." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I totally get it. You know, if you have the resources to do that, um, it makes sense. And in your part of the world, the native whitetail herd, um, you know, a, a trophy's in in the eye of the beholder across the board whether that's a whitetail or a mule deer or something you're passionate about um, or anything else. It's uh, it's regional. Some places they get big, some places they don't. They're around three rivers. They just don't. Well, there are some, there are some nice deer, native deer in this area. I, I won't, I'm not going to disparage them one bit. I mean, live Oak, live Oak and, and especially to the West McMullen County, there's some wonderful, wonderful low fence deer, some mm-hmm. high score and low fence deer. But, you know, there, there's pockets is what I would tell you. There's pockets of really good genetics, and there's pockets of, of really not-so-great genetics. And, and the genetics on, on the particular piece of property that, that we purchased, they weren't fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's an understatement. Like a 120 so, would be a – man, you better shoot that one. <laughs> yeah. We would have been really been happy with that. But yeah. we decided to, to make the plunge, and, and we did put up a fence and have managed it and – and, I, and I've been really happy with the results, n- not just on the quality of deer cable, but that's that's just one you know aspiration that we have. But as far as you know, improving what's there and leaving it better for the next generation, I think that's that's really what we're trying to do. And a lot of that, of course, is done through habitat management, you know, prescribed burns, things of that nature, stuff that we'll get into after the break, including our Axis Deer Hunt, how it played out. Uh, that segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Thermion, it is hands down the best 
thermal scope that I've ever used. I've got one on a bolt action. I know you're going to laugh, but it's a 6.5 Creedmoor. I found uh, the best use for that 6.5 was shooting feral hogs upside the head with it. And the best tool to accomplish that goal is the Pulsar Thermion. Check it out. It's the Thermion. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back with more from our good friend Chase Clark of Rebel Ranch on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. They say America never cries Like no one's lonely in America Like no one's lonely in America Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with 3 Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at 3curl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Lift your eyes and see through the sorrow Muster all the strength you can borrow And live for tomorrow Though you're down and down to your rival Know your faith is linked to your survival Be the Revival, the name of that one from the late, great Brandon Jenkins bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As we are talking all things whitetail, uh, deer management, habitat management, and also a little axis deer hunting coming up here in a bit with our good friend Chase Clark of Rebel Ranch. But before we dive back into that conversation, this segment is brought to you by the brand spanking new Vortex Optics Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series um, with an MSRP Starting out at $499.99, it's friendly on the pocketbook, but here's the great thing. You don't sacrifice performance. I mean, 500 bucks for such an essential part of your fall hunting kit. Uh, I've actually got the HD 20 to 60 by 85. The kids were messing around with it at the ranch the other day. Frankie and Stella were looking at a, a doe with a newborn fawn. I mean, brand, it was the size of like, uh, I don't know a tiny little gray fox. It was so small, uh, but the kiddos were absolutely loving it. You'll love it as well. It's the Diamondback HD Spotter Series from Vortex. Vortex, the force of optics. Um, that being said, Chase, let's get back into it here. Something that I found interesting when you were talking about cutting out the northern genes in your deer breeding operation because those northern crosses had a higher mortality rate were more prone to disease, whatever the case, they didn't perform as well. I imagine, and I've always wondered about this, but I imagine the same thing would hold true if you took a South Texas 
200-inch whitetail buck and placed him up in Illinois or Iowa or somewhere in the Midwest, his chances of, of thriving and producing heavy antlers, I mean, much less even just making it through the winter, I imagine would be pretty low. It is. That's exactly right. I mean, Mother Nature, over the course of eons, Cable has, has made these animals to, to thrive where they are. I remember we drove, you know, to North Texas, you know, once upon a time up in the panhandle from where we are, and I looked at the map and I thought about, well, if we drove that far again, how far north would we be? Well, we'd be, you know, north of Kansas, Nebraska, up in that country. So mm-hmm. Texas is a huge state. It's yep. a huge state. And certainly people up in north Texas can handle a lot more of the northern crosses than we can down here in South Texas. I don't begrudge begrudge them one bit for trying to make those northern crosses and get those deer bigger earlier in their ages. I understand it completely. But if you lose a significant number of them to mortality, it, it just makes your operation almost untenable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, 95 degrees here today, so it's... Uh... Don't don't make the uh, just don't don't paint us to be like northerners. It's hot as hell here. Also, the icy tundra oh. of, of North Texas. <laughs> well, I, I, all I will say is, if you look at the historical, you know, uh, trends of temperature for the state of Texas, there's a significant difference in south of San Antonio to oh, north sure. of Dallas. It's a significant yeah. difference. Uh, over the course of any year, I would say our summers are comfortable, but like our winters are certainly way more harsh than y'all's. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so you mentioned the word clients earlier, Chase. What What are you referring to there? Well, I've worked as a consultant trying to help property owners for the last twenty years. I started out just doing some simple recommendations for harvest and and um, some um, details of habitat work for properties. And then we moved into stocking ranches and and developing um, breeder operations to try to stock properties, and and you know we have clients that sell deer for between properties, and we also have clients that utilize their breeder operations to stock their own ranches for the purpose of hunting. So um, I've just basically served as a consultant in that capacity for about two decades. And so, what is your degree in? Well, I got a, an undergraduate degree in business, as a matter of fact. So uh-huh. I try to see things from a a business perspective. I try to see everything in the nuts and bolts of whether it's going to survive or not in uh, in the business world. Uh-huh. Um, we look at uh, any ranch as a as a business in and of itself, and it's very difficult. For instance, we were talking about the northern strains. If you're losing high numbers to mortality, it's hard to make the numbers work uh, over the course of a long period of time if, if you're losing part of your inventory. Well, and it doesn't just have to be whitetail. Going back to uh, South Texas versus North Texas, I was I was hunting uh, turkeys in uh, March in Jack County, and we had a really hard cold spell, and they lost like five or six nil guy, which... And that was a very expensive lesson for them. Uh, but if you go down to your part of the world, or even you know farther along the Texas coast, there's no guy everywhere. Yeah. Well, the 
King is covered up with them, absolutely yeah. covered up with them, and, and certainly areas to the west of that as well. Yeah. Um, and they've become a staple of South Texas. I mean, they're they're well accepted and 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 valued down here as a as both a trophy and as a, a wonderful meat production animal. They're fantastic. Absolutely. Now, I will say that I know that Parks uh, TPWD Texas Parks and Wildlife has had some issues with uh, fever ticks and Texas Animal Health Commission and and Nilgai potentially being a carrier of fever ticks. So I know that's something that you've probably covered in 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 your show. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I don't point the finger at Texas Parks and Wildlife because I've I've tried to find out whoever's shooting them out of helicopters. Uh, you know, I have a big problem with that because they're still selling the same number of uh, drawn hunts. I mean. They're still auctioning off X number of tags, essentially. They're drawing them, but they don't have the same number of Nilgai, and they're not really publicizing that they're shooting them out of helicopters. And whether that's for Broken Arrow Ranch, the uh, wild game meat uh, distributor, or you know wh- whatever they're doing, they're, they're selling the meat. Well, it's actually, it's, actually the, uh, it's actually the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that's responsible for that. So, Once again, that goes back to ag. That goes back yep. to you know, and, and the feds often. They will not answer any any. I've I've made countless advancements. I've posted their pretty paltry responses on social media, and I've put their email addresses out for people to blast them because they do not. It's like they're kind of hiding behind it. It's been. I'll put it this way: Texas Parks and Wildlife, and call them any day of the week. It doesn't matter which department they are willing to get out in front of something, even if I disagree with them. Uh, they will talk about it. They will have a comment, and just to see the way that the the feds have handled that, it's been uh, pretty disappointing on the down there around the Laguna Atascosa. Wildlife cable. Do what? There's a lot of politics and wildlife, yeah. and it's it, yeah. it often makes it often makes it difficult to do what's best and right by the wildlife when when politics are involved. Yeah. Well, it, that's why it was nice to see amidst this, you know, the world shutting down. It was nice to see. Uh, bipartisan uh, legislation that Trump just passed in the Great American Outdoors Act. Um, so that was encouraging. I know. I know you. It's it's interesting because you have your own ranch, a couple of them. Um, but one of your favorite things to do, Chase, is go into the high country and and hunt mule deer. Absolutely, I absolutely love it. I haven't done it in several years. Hoping to get up there again this year and and enjoy that that respite and and that challenge. Um, it's certainly a lot different than than Three Rivers, Texas is. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and so you were nice enough to invite my family over uh, for dinner while we were down there hunting on the ranch, and you said, "No, just come over to our house and have dinner, and we'll let the kids play." And uh, you know, looking around your living room, don't uh, don't don't sell yourself short. There's quite a few beautiful uh, muleys in there that I imagine were taken in Colorado or New Mexico or uh, somewhere up there in the in the mountains, I have some wonderful memories. Some absolute wonderful memories. Some of them, <laughs> some of them involve some pretty deep, heavy snow, and, and some of them were uh, a little bit easier hunt. But, you know, what? I want to talk about the the whitetail industry. It seems like ten years ago, certainly twenty years ago, there was this big push for gnarly, non typicals that you know are getting into the two fifties, three hundred inch range. Uh, even bigger than that, and for me, those just look like freaks. I don't, I don't care for it. And I just people show me a picture of one of those, and 
maybe when I started out in this industry, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Now it's just kind of a roll of the eyes. I'm like, eh, show me something that's 180 inches, but typical. That's that's something I like to see. Well, there's no doubt at the beginning of, of the breeder, not really the beginning of the breeder industry, but as the the breeder industry started to grow, there was a there was an emphasis on score. Mm-hmm. And and what folks began to understand is that it was it was fairly easy to get these animals to really produce a lot of inches, a lot of points, and and they made some very high scoring breeder animals pretty quick just from selective breeding. You know, it's it's been much more difficult to take it back the other direction mm-hmm. as the market has changed and as the market has has gone towards selecting a a, a more cleaner animal, you know, bigger framed animal, more typical antlers in nature. It's been tough for some people to to be able to back out of those non-typical genetics from their, you know, generations after generations of breeding for for inches and trying to get them back to looking like a big clean typical buck. Mm-hmm. So, I like that too. Everybody has their own preference. Um, in my operation, I've always concentrated on width. I think hunters always um, will select towards width, or the majority of them will. If a, if a big, wide, 26-inch, 180-inch deer walks out and a, and a narrow, real heavy, gnarly 210-inch deer walks out, they'll usually shoot that wide deer first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's what gets me. I like the, the typical. And, and so watching the industry and i guess it's i mean it's obviously driven by the consumers they maybe they were enamored with those freaks for a little while but now it's back to let's let's do something that looks like a white-tailed deer <laughs> yeah I, I i know you when you and i were riding around and we saw the one buck that jumped on on the back pond and he was a nice big wide clean typical that it, he got both both of our attention pretty quick yeah yeah, I know that uh, that we have similar tastes in that. Yeah, and and that was cool uh, riding around the ranch. You've got a thousand acres um, fence, and then two hundred acres, which is Noasis River floodplain. And we're driving around, and and you took uh, my entire family, um, and it was cool to see. I've spent a lot of time on ranches, and so the management that goes into it is not something that you know I've like had hands-on experience, but I'm well versed in what goes on doing this for a living. My wife and kids have no idea what a prescribed burn was, yeah. so that was cool to uh, to for them to see something that Dad talks about regularly with experts, but they don't even know what it is. Well, uh, I, I will tell you that uh, you know the the majority of of the public has no idea how much you know good involved motivated landowners how much effort and resources that they pour into these properties. You know, prescribed burns, uh, herbicide applications to try to improve habitat, yeah. you know, clearing with a bulldozer. Diesel, diesel isn't free. I can promise you it may be cheaper <laughs> than it was two years ago, but it's still plenty expensive. And just the time, cable the time that we spend and our employees spend um, working on these properties to try to make them a, a, you know, a wildlife haven. is is It's great for wildlife. It's great for the state of Texas, but it doesn't always get recognized. Yeah. Well, and also you think about trapping, you run snares for coyotes and bobcats and keeping feral hogs out of the uh, thousand acres. That all takes fuel to check those fences. And um, yeah, it's uh, it certainly adds up. Yes, sir. 
the Nueces part of the property, the, the river bottom there, was something that the kids really enjoyed. And uh, kind of like a beach. It was kind of like a little oasis because on either side of you, within 500 yards, it gets deep and there's alligators. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little bit disconcerting if you if you spent too much time thinking about it. But that little spot's a, a little bit of a, a, a nice picnic area and and time to go down to the beach and have some fun. But you know you're correct. There are some deep pools, and if you remember, we saw some some nice alligator gar off in those pools, and there's catfish and alligators, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Um, back to the management side of things. What what is your goal as far as buck to doe ratio? Oh, I guess it it probably depends. Um, you know, ideally, we're going to try to to have a commercial hunting operation on our properties over the course of time to help try to pay the bills, both yeah. the tax burden and and the costs of improving the habitat, et cetera. We're going to try to we're going to try to hunt to to um, to justify those expenses. So I will tell you that we're we're probably going to be buck heavy, and we may actually have a buck to doe ratio that is higher in bucks than it is to does in some cases maybe even you know two to one or three to one bucks mm-hmm. to does hmm. okay okay um as far as how that market has changed we're talking about the commercial aspect i remember just 10 years ago but you know 200 inch whitetail would cost someone between 16 and twenty thousand dollars and just goes up from there that has plateaued to a rate where yes, it's still expensive, but what is it now? About seventy five hundred dollars for a two hundred inch whitetail? Yeah, it might be. It depends on it. It depends on the deer. It depends on the circumstances, um, and and certainly different ranches have have different clientele and have have different um, costs associated with the tr- those trespass fees. So, um, do you think that's a good thing? Um, I, I for me personally, in my role in the industry. I think it's great that more people can have the opportunity to take a, a deer like that. There's no doubt. I, I think, you know, um, the costs associated with leasing a low-fence piece of property um, for any period of time that, that has the opportunity to harvest those kinds of of animals on it is astronomical. And And now I believe that, you know, these private landowners, which are really working hard to manage their properties and 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 vis-a-vis provide hunting opportunities to to anyone out there in the public whether it be you know in Houston or Dallas or New York City or across the world they can come to the state of Texas and, and have an opportunity at some fantastic whitetail uh, deer that are that are managed and and well taken care of well I'll put it this way I spent uh, more than the $7,500 on between my leases last year and never sniffed anything that size. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's between, that's between you and your landowner. And, and I got off one of them. I looked at my kid and this was my archery only lease and it was very expensive to hunt in Collin County. And, and I mean, there's a reason why they've been killing giant deer here the last four or five years, like 230 inch free ranging whitetails. So I got in on that, and it was ten minutes from the house, and it was it was very expensive. And uh, and then I looked at my kiddos, specifically my twins that she met, the girls. Um, they want to go hunting more with dad now, and I just couldn't justify 
spending that amount of money uh, on something like that. So I saved about 3500 bucks and got us a duck lease where we can all go. <laughs> hey, that's nice. I, yeah. hope I, can, I hope I can get an invitation to that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I will, uh, I'll let you know when the greenheads show up. That sounds great. Yeah. We, we have, you know, Choke Canyon is not too far away, which is, which is some wonderful duck hunting out there. But I just, I don't get the opportunity to go duck hunting near as much as I used to. Yeah. Well, and that's why having a lease is, at my age and with kids seems a lot more appealing than getting up at 3 a.m., taking the boat to the the <laughs> lake, and then fighting everyone else for a prime spot. Um, well, I still get up at 3 a.m. and take the boat, but I don't go after ducks. I try to get after the the, the speckled trout and the redfish is what i'm after oh yeah yeah but that's uh that's a young man's game for the uh and i respect the the folks that do still well i'll tell you this i I go once a year at least unless we get a really uh, extended cold snap where everything freezes man you can't pull me off the reservoir if all the ducks are guaranteed to be on the reservoir it's the the best hunting ever um but uh yeah the the uh, the public land death march I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not too proud to say I don't do it as much as I used to. Uh, yeah, well, you as you said, when we were younger, we probably did a lot of things that don't make a whole lot of sense now. Oh, I mean, I, I sometimes I think we maybe spent the night there and drank until 2 a.m. and then woke up at three. <laughs> we just took a a nap to try to sober up just a little bit. Yeah, so yes, sir. None of that sounds appealing today. Um. But the ducks, the ducks still sound appealing. Well, Chase, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation. There's still a lot more to get into, uh, specifically one uh, problematic black buck that I think people will like hearing about. Are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Absolutely, Cable. Love to. All right. And that segment was brought to you by First Light's Guide Light Short. I keep telling you about it week in and week out because (laughs) I'm still excited about it. Just ordered two more pairs. Now I've got one in ash gray conifer and dry earth it's uh, the guide light short and whether i'm uh filling feeders fishing on the coast i mean you name it it's perfect for everything casual enough to wear to the bar when they uh open back up as well or just to the family barbecue it's the guide light short you can find it at firstlight.com up next it's the story of a particular black buck that like to put holes in white-tailed deer on the lone star outdoor show Got something, but I know I'm only fooling myself. I should have called you by that middle name that no one knows. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat. And it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. 
Turnpike Troubadours bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. And some good news on that front. That looks like Evan Felker, a friend of the show, is finally or has finally dealt with those demons that have seen Turnpike essentially be MIA for the last two years. But uh, by all accounts, Evan is sober and ready to get back to making music. We'll see in what form. Uh, that comes to fruition, but certainly exciting news there. Congrats to Evan. Uh, we're about to continue our discussion with Chase Clark of Rebel Ranch, but before we do that, this segment brought to you by John X Safaris. The date is set July 25th through August 2nd, 2021. If you want to be a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show Safari with John X, uh, just shoot me an email. Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. I'll send you over the pertinent information. And it's a lot more affordable than people realize. That is for sure. Well, jumping back into it here with Chase Clark, uh, who's nice enough to stick around. Let's talk about black buck and axis deer, which are species native to India, along with the Nilgai. Uh, but they've all done extremely well on the Texas landscape for, well, the Nilgai's case, you know, 100 years and black buck and axis deer closer to uh, 80 or so but makes you think that india's climate and vegetation has to be very similar to that of the texas hill country and parts of south texas as well it is it's very similar you know i've had lots of talks with charlie over at the ewa about this and and texas the habitat of texas is very similar to 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 areas of india and africa and and those species which have come over here have done very well and and you see them as a additional for um for landowners to to place on their property stock on their property for hunting opportunities and 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 it's it's worked very well to the benefit of the species and to the landowners Mm -hmm. yeah they're i mean certainly thriving um a lot of axis and and uh, black buck in the hill country, free range, and then, like you mentioned, Nilgai just all over that. I uh, see. I was on the Uteria Ranch, which borders the King Ranch, where I shot mine on the Uteria, and there, Mike, I can't believe how many Nilgai are down there. Yes, uh, they're doing quite well. I will um, say that the axis deer provide a particular challenge, especially at different times of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the rut on the axis, the, the summer axis is this time of the year. It starts up in May and kind of runs through the summer. So it, it really provides a unique summertime hunting opportunity for ranches and for landowners. But the species themselves are fun to hunt. They are they are very, very shy in most of the places that I work with that have them. And they're tough. I mean, just as you saw, we have lots of access on both ranches. And and really, until the, the third or fourth hunt, you didn't hardly see any at all. No, no. And we definitely put some, some miles on the truck and, and some time in the pop-up, too. So, uh, But, you know, like I, like I told you, and I think anybody who's hunted axis deer and whitetail, if they compared the two, they would say that the axis deer are, are a lot more wary. Um, and and that's saying a lot because, shoot, you know I've I've ran into some smart white-tailed deer that beat me, you know. 
they got for me. Sure. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, and and Axis will do it to you as well. We've been fortunate, had several hunters this summer, and I believe, I think all of them have gone home with with a nice Axis buck. But uh, it hasn't been easy. It's never been on the first hunt. It's always been on the fourth or fifth hunt, and mm-hmm. and uh, and oftentimes we have tried to change up tactics a little bit. The, the plan that was in place was imperfect and uh, and no longer effective. Right. <laughs> um, so on the, uh, on the black buck side of things, you told me something that I had never considered. And, uh, and this was after we wrapped up our hunt on Saturday night, shot a beautiful buck. And it was so cool because Henry got to be there and be a part of that. Um, so it's always fun to to have those father son moments that you can share, and uh, so that was that was really special for us. But then we're sitting there um, after the hunt, and we start talking about black buck, and you said that they're just the most ornery, mean animals that you can imagine. But you look at them they, and like, oh, they're so cute and little, and <laughs> they are so mean. Huh. They they just pack a punch for being so little. Um, we have you know, stock them on ranches and try to move them between ranches, and they're violent. You cannot get in a trailer with a mature black buck male. You just huh. can't do it. They will they will try to poke a hole in you, and we've had some bad experiences out here on the ranch as a result of that. With Not with a person? No, not with people, with okay. deer. Yeah. We, uh, we had a, a particular black buck male, which establish a, a a pattern of of activity of behavior which was was very um which was negative for the whitetails on the ranch he would <laughs> he would sit at the feeder he would watch the feeder from afar and the feeder lip was just a little bit high because as you know they are pretty short legged uh-huh. it was a little bit high for him to reach so they would wait until the whitetail would come out and start eating the protein out of the feeder and after enough spilled out by the whitetails he would poke holes in the side of the whitetail bucks to get the feed on the ground so just lower his head and just gore him and go right through him yes sir we lost to that one particular black buck male we lost several very nice mature whitetail bucks in a matter of weeks yeah and there's one on the wall in the lodge that's a beautiful buck yes sir yeah yeah. They they were pretty spectacular and that that just happened to my be my daughter's favorite buck on on the whole ranch and uh it broke her heart thanks to that that black buck. But he's no longer with us. Right. Right. So you told me though that you initially thought maybe somebody was poaching. Well, I did because we found, you know, we found that dead buck that had a hole in him and and so I thought there might be an issue with poaching and then we found another one. And so I finally determined that you know we we did enough necropsy work to figure out that it wasn't bullets that it was puncture wounds. So we thought maybe since it was during you know the winter time, we thought it was a rut. Mm-hmm. We thought it was the fighting between the bucks, and we had one particular buck here that was very aggressive over and above every other buck on the entire ranch. He basically broke up his entire set of antlers, and and so began to kind of blame it on him. And so I. After we lost the third whitetail buck in the pasture, I went out and, and removed him from the property in order to try to <laughs> m- make it stop. And and about a day or two later, we lost another whitetail buck, so I knew it wasn't him. And and so I continued to investigate and try to figure it out. And I finally saw, 
you know, back here on one of the feeders, I saw that, that black buck male just perform his little pattern and, and, and wait on a whitetail to come up there. And it was a doe and I watched him run that doe through. And, uh, I finally figured out what, what had been the source of all the problems. And it stopped after he was, uh, removed. removed. Yes, yeah. sir. It did stop. Did he get mounted? Um, I don't remember. I think he might be in the in the lodge somewhere. How'd uh, it be mind blowing to see that actually happen firsthand? Well, it was pretty disappointing. It was disappointing that obviously that we lost all those deer. But you know, Mother Nature is not soft, yeah. not in any shape, form, or fashion. And and down here in South Texas, there are are lots of things already that are, are challenging. Whether it be the environment, you know, the the animals, the snakes the thorns and everything else that's here it's already challenging enough to not to mention the black buck males which are causing all those issues hmm. but you haven't ha- had it happen since then no nope, we haven't i i have watched for it again and i think it was just it was just him he he figured out his mo he figured out a way to to get more feed and i i don't know if he enjoyed it too much or what it was <laughs> but we uh, now did you enjoy shooting him that's the question what well not particularly. It was it was uh, bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure he tasted good anyway. Yes, sir. Huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, Axis and Black Buck doing very well on the ranch. You are offering hunts for both of those in addition to the, uh, the whitetail coming up for this fall. Yes, sir. So, where can folks uh, find info on the Rebel Ranch hunting operation? Well, we have our website, which is rebelranchhunting.com, or they can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, both Rebel Ranch Hunting, and uh, look forward to, to having a wonderful season here. Our bucks look fantastic, our whitetails look amazing, and uh, we're going to have a spectacular season. Yeah, the kids kept, they just couldn't wrap their mind around why when we drive around our deer lease, the deer don't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we look forward to having you guys back down again soon. We we enjoyed having you guys here. Oh, it was it was a lot of fun, and you guys have a you have a great family. Your uh, your daughters are a little older than mine, but they were very sweet and and uh, really took the girls really took to them. So I can't take any that. credit for that. You'd have to ask their mother about that <laughs> all that sweetness. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Chase, and uh, I look forward to the next time that. We get to hang out, whether that's on the uh, the ranch or maybe we hit the uh, hit Corpus Christi Bay up for trout and redfish. Sounds great, Cable. Thanks again. I appreciate you, sir. Yep. Thanks for having us. Yes, sir. All right, there he goes, our friend Chase Clark of the Rebel Ranch. I tell you that Black Buck story very interesting to uh, to witness <laughs> an exotic just poking holes in your white-tailed deer. Man, surreal. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit Lands, the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. So if you're at a place where you're ready to make that dream a reality, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered, whether that's for recreating, running cattle, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Lone Star Ag Credit has been at this for over a century. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We're just looking at the clock. We got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Chase as well as Rachel Malone of Gun Owners of America. We'll be back with a brand new show next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener. 
for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Yeah.